You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire, and we are back on yet another Taco Tuesday with a six-game winning streak, the Ravens beating the Houston Texans 41-7 at M&T Bank Stadium. And we have Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beat down here once again to help us break it all down. Spencer, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Got a little bit of a sprained ankle, so I'm limping, but I'm limping with a smile. Ravens are continuing to roll, looking like the best team in football. Defense and offense are both the highest DVOA units, respectively, since Marcus Peters' trade. Uh, so since that happened, the Ravens are the best on both sides of the ball, according to Football Outsiders, and it's a good time to be a fan of Baltimore Ravens. Such an exciting time. I mean, I can't remember the last time there's been so much excitement surrounding a Ravens team. I mean, the Super Bowl hype, I don't want to jinx anything, but it's been slowly creeping up over the past few weeks, and now over the past four weeks, Lamar Jackson the Ravens have beaten Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson But Spencer, I first want to talk to you about how the Ravens are doing this because they've been playing well on both sides of the ball, all facets of the game. But it seems like they're aggressive and attacking on both sides of the ball. Is that really the main proponent of how they're doing so well? Yes, it feels like they're driving forward. They're pushing. Uh, They're not playing reactively. And that's how reactively is how I would kind of summarize the Texans played defensively against Lamar Jackson. That is a recipe for disaster. You can't let the Ravens make the first move, especially on offense. And on the defensive side of the football, it feels like the Ravens have a plan and they are going to attack you. They're going to blitz you. They're going to try to force you to do something as opposed to kind of letting you make the first move, having the first step. And at any level of football, whether it's peewee, JV, FCS, FBS, NFL, whatever, if you are the aggressor, from the opening whistle, you're going to be in a better place. If you're the one seeking contact, you're the one who wants to be physically imposing and dominant, and you want to take your script, your game plan, and impose it upon your opponent, you're going to be in a better place 10 times out of 10, even if you don't win the game necessarily. But you will play better when you are the team seeking to move forward, wanting to playing to win as opposed to playing not to lose. And it felt like the Texans' defense particularly was playing not to lose and that Deshaun Watson was holding the ball too long at times, scared of throwing interceptions, playing not to lose. So the Ravens are playing to win, and that's exactly what they're doing. And it seems like both coordinators are taking advantage of that, making their units come out with fire, come out with energy, and you're exactly right. That's part of the reason the Ravens are winning so many games Greg Roman and Don Martindale doing such a phenomenal job with both of their units. And now, Spencer, I want to ask you about those coordinators. We talked about it a bit last week on an episode of Locked on Ravens here. If Greg Roman and Don Martindale might get considered for head coaching jobs, I mean, after that 41-7 trouncing of the Texans where the Ravens defense holds the Texans to 110 passing yards to Sean Watson and A.J. McCarron, and the Ravens offense puts up 41 points on a solid and Underrated Texans defense. Do you see either of these guys potentially being flight risks for Baltimore? Absolutely. I think that if I could place a bet on Wink Martindale to get an interview request, at least, I would absolutely take that bet. 
I don't see a way where a defensive coordinator can come from such a storied franchise like the Baltimore Ravens, uh, especially defensively where we've seen Rex Ryan, Mike Singletary, Jack Del Rio, Marvin Lewis, uh, Chuck Pagano, all these different gentlemen on the defensive side of the football ending up with head coaching jobs. Some of them have done pretty darn well. It makes sense. If you want to go look at around the NFL and say, my team needs a coach, Martindale's got to be one of the top guys. He's been around Harbaugh. Uh, Martindale seems like a no-nonsense guy. He's a player's coach. He uh, has a good attitude. He seems to be very fun-loving, but he's also very well-respected. And his presence with the media uh, as someone who could maybe be – basically being the head coach is like being a CEO uh, with a lot of guys, except for maybe, you know, the Sean Paytons and Bill Belichick's who actually call plays. you got to be the face. you got to be the president, the CEO, and it feels like Martindale's capable of doing that. Uh, he's held in a very high regard by both players, fellow coaches – the Baltimore general fandom and all around. So I don't think anyone's had a bad word to say about him. And when you're coaching football at the apex of the sport and doing it better than anyone else, as Martindale has been doing with a healthy Ravens defense, uh, it would be foolish for teams not to want to interview him. And a slight follow-up question to that. If Martindale were to leave Spencer on the Ravens coaching staff, who would you see as the best potential option to promote the defensive coordinator from within? Chris Hewitt the Ravens secondary coach, if they were going to promote from within, uh, from, from being out at training camp, it felt like he was very vocal to the entire defense that he is a strong, powerful entity and has a lot of respect. He's, you know, not the youngest, he's relatively pretty young, but he's not like green. He's got some experience. He's been around, he's been involved with the Ravens for a couple of years. So if I had to pick one, uh, from the defensive side of the ball, be there. The other option would be uh, Joe Cullen. I feel like he's better as a positional coach. Um, I think that's kind of his MO a little bit more. So I would go with uh, Hewitt. Yeah, Cullen interviewed for the UMass job last year in season, didn't end up getting it. So I think as well, Hewitt would most likely be the best option there. But let's stick with the secondary, kind of getting into the breakdown of the Texans game. There was a call early in the game that, Went in the Ravens' favor. I don't know how many times I'll be able to say that, but that went in the Ravens' favor where Marlon Humphrey grabbed hold of DeAndre Hopkins' jersey a little bit, made some contact on a fourth down play. There was no pass interference called on what looked like it was pass interference. There were some mixed opinions on it. It went to New York. New York didn't see anything definitive, so they ended up having it stay, and the Ravens took over. Drew a lot of ire from the NFL fans and analysts and critics out there. What did you see on that play, Spencer? I think that it was the right call, and reversing it, I've seen many plays. The NFL clearly does not want these defensive pass interference plays to be overturned unless it is basically winning or losing a game. And it feels like if it's not basically the high stakes of the Saints-Rams game last year, they're not going to overturn it. Um, it's just for kind of break glass in case of emergency. And I don't believe, and you can call me a homer. Sure. I can eat it. But if you follow me at all, I tend to try my very best to not be a homer, to be unbiased and to call it like it is. And to me, Marlon Humphrey didn't hinder Hopkins from catching the ball. Was Marlon Humphrey draped over Hopkins? Yes. Was there contact? Yes. Did Marlon Humphrey interfere with Hopkins ability to catch the ball? To me, that was a no. I didn't see him holding an arm or grabbing a hand or, you know, moving Hopkins' actual body out of the way that he was already headed in. I don't think the coverage could have been any tighter, and I could absolutely see a penalty being called. But I think that it was not nearly as egregious as, 
Sports Center tweeted it out and was putting on Instagram and Hopkins is saying, oh, we need, you know, Riveron gone. We need someone with some accountability in Europe, blah, blah, blah. Say what you want. That wasn't why the Texans lost either. I mean, they got schlacked 41 to uh, 7. So that was not why the Texans lost the football game. Seemed like a game of penalties. There seemed to be a lot of flags on the play. The Texans only had five penalties accepted on them for 60 yards. There were a few more that John Harbaugh declined for strategical reasons. The Ravens. Eight for 65. Not the best day for penalties in the league. That's a lot. 13 penalties is it, you know, slows the game down and whatnot. But overall, when you look at it, there was contact, but you mentioned it. Does it hinder the ability of the receiver to catch the football? And it didn't look like it to me as well. So I'm with you there, Spencer. I'll take it too if I'm a little bit of a homer there. But at first to me, it looked like it. But then really looking over the play again after the game, I didn't really see anything definitive there. But when we return from our break, we are going to get into the offense, how the Ravens were able to put up 41 points on a very solid and underrated Texans defense. So stay tuned and we will be right back. But before we do that, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Welcome back to the second segment of this Locked On Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker still here with Spencer Schultz talking about the Ravens' 41-7 victory over the Houston Texans. We're going to get right into this offense here, starting with Lamar Jackson. Jackson, again, had an absolutely tremendous game, going 17 of 24 for 222 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions through the air, and had nine carries for 86 yards and no touchdowns on the ground. But really, Spencer, something that isn't in the box score is how Lamar Jackson has improved on his footwork, both in the offseason and throughout the season as well. He's been progressing through each game. And now we've seen a bit of this sidearm throw that we saw a lot last year starting to come back. But the difference this year is it actually looks like a viable throw for him. Last year, it was kind of a wobbly throw. The angle was down. It was getting tipped by defenders. It was going into the ground. But this year, he's able to get that ball to his receivers. What has changed with his footwork and with that sidearm throw? He's always been working on uh, widening his base, keeping his feet a little further apart. And just think about, you know, if you want to do heavy lifting, if you want to generate a lot of force with your body in any way of physics, you want to have a wide base. You want to have an athletic stance, and that was a problem for Jackson, especially early on at Louisville. So that's been one constant. Keeping his toes pointed in the right direction. It feels like if you watch Jackson take a three- or a five-step drop, at the top of the drop, he has what's called a heel pop which is just where you take one kind of plant step on your back foot, on your heel to drive. And it feels like he's really accentuated that back heel pop, that back heel step. And that allows him to generate a lot of force and drive through his hips, through his base, and use his arm as a whip, as a lever to deliver the ball with accuracy and keep it pointed in the right direction. He's also talked about uh, upper body wise, closing off his non-throwing shoulder, keeping that tight and using that as a guide, kind of like a compass where that non-throwing shoulder is going to point you due North. And those factors kind of feels like took Jackson back down to basics at first, where he does love to use sidearms and do some different things a la Patrick Mahomes. But like you're saying, the consistency wasn't there when doing that. And being a quarterback all starts with footwork. You have to have a strong arm, sure, but that strong arm is going to come from your base. 
And with Jackson able to get a good base under him and improve the base, it has now allowed him to be able to to retort back to uh, throwing those sidearm passes. And the last two weeks, it feels like he's really relied on it, throwing around defenders and the threat of it and how quick his release can be. There was an RPO that was kind of a play that went unnoticed, but it was blown up by a linebacker. Jackson gave a quick sidearm pump, got the defender in the air, and then ran for three yards. So he turned you know a blown play into a three-yard gain. So Jackson's base has absolutely improved. That is basically the only reason the Ravens are 8-2 is because Lamar Jackson got his feet together. And his feet are now of strength as opposed to a weakness in his passing game. And if, like I said, if you want to be a good passer, you're going to want to be a good thrower of any ball, you have to have good feet, good base, good footwork. So with that being said, Jackson's done it and allowed the Ravens to flourish on offense. And let's now move into what you have deemed the four horsemen here with Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, Nick Boyle, and Patrick Ricard. Mark Andrews, when he's on the field, is absolutely dominant as a receiver. He's also improved a bit on his blocking, but he didn't play a lot of snaps compared to what he's usually played. Hayden Hurst looked great. Patrick Ricard was carrying people with him. Nick Boyle had a drop in there, but came back and performed well. I mean, what did you see out of these guys, Spencer? Another dominant performance by them. Absolutely. Ricard was doing things that make me question what species he is. I don't know if this guy's from Mars, <laughs> if he's, you know, the guy trying to kill John Connor in the 80s. I don't know what this guy is, but watching him catch the ball out of the backfield as a 305-pound fullback, make guys miss, move piles forward, it's just frightening, to be honest. I would not want to hit that dude. He took 29 snaps. He actually outsnapped Mark Andrews, who was also outsnapped to Nick Boyle, who had... 55 snaps seems like he's really been leading the way. Boyle did have a bad drop. I'm not going to let that one slide because I like you, Nick Boyle, improving as a receiver. You got to be perfect, buddy. We need these tight ends to really rock and roll. But Hayden Hurst as well, outsnapped Mark Andrews with 30. And uh, feels like Hayden Hurst's chemistry with Lamar Jackson has grown exponentially. Hayden Hurst had a couple of big catches that moved the chains and balls where Jackson really trusted Hurst to shield the ball away from the defender into super tight windows. Uh, another one got called back that was a first down. I believe the Ravens ended up converting anyway the next play, but feels like Hurst's chemistry is kind of getting up to where Andrews and Jackson have been operating in a way, although Andrews is a downfield threat. He can really rumble. He had that huge play. The first one got called back for a Gus Edwards offensive pass interference, which was absolutely offensive pass interference. I will just say a side note. This was a beautifully officiated game, in my opinion. I thought that all the calls made were logical, sensical, They took time. They didn't take too much time. You didn't feel like you were sitting there for 10 minutes waiting. Anyway, great job by the officials. But uh, Andrews then ended up catching the next ball on a similar pattern and rumbling about 40 yards after the catch. Made a couple of guys miss. And he's electric downfield. He's got to be one of the three best receiving tight ends in the NFL right now. I put him with Kittle and Kelsey and say that's my top three. Guys are absolutely killing it. Boyle on the perimeter is a blocker. And Hurst with his short hands, and then Ricard, obviously, the physical presence that he brings, and being an option to, I mean, who's going to account for the 300 pound fullback when you haven't seen him catch a ton of passes? He's just dipping out into the flat, getting eight yards, getting 10 yards. It's an easy first down. So we like to call the low hanging fruit. You want to take the low hanging fruit, the easiest option to get the job done. So that's exactly what they were able to do. And I will go so far as to say that it is now evident that Hollywood Brown is great. But it feels like Hollywood Brown is a luxury. He is not the motor that drives this car of a passing offense. It is it is the tight ends. They are the consistent ones over the middle of the field. They're the ones moving the chains. They make big plays. When Jackson absolutely has to have a conversion on third or fourth down, feels like he's going to the tight ends. 
and they're making him look like a smart man for doing so. So I don't know if anyone's throwing the ball over the middle of the field better than Lamar Jackson is right now. And who's he targeting? The four horsemen, and they're killing it. The apocalypse is here, and they're the ones driving the chariot. The apocalypse is here, and someone who also hasn't been getting a ton of targets, but who's looked pretty impressive to me, and I know to you as well, Spencer, Seth Roberts. He's a guy who's a little bit of an unsung hero for the Ravens. He does a little bit of everything, a good blocker. He's run some routes. He's been open on a few plays where he hasn't seen the ball, but he got his first touchdown in a Ravens uniform against the Texans. His only reception was that touchdown, one reception for 15 yards, that 15-yard touchdown on a play. He was not open. He made a great adjustment to the ball, got up over Garyon Conley, and made a pretty sensational catch. I'm glad that Seth Roberts got his first touchdown. Spencer, what about you? Absolutely. I feel for the guy. He's been getting wide open on posts. And I feel like in games, as I was just talking about the trust that Jackson has for Andrews and Hurst and Boyle, uh, it feels like he hasn't trusted anyone other than Hollywood out of the wide receiving core to make those plays, those tough catches. And Jackson, who loves to say trust, had it exactly for Roberts. And Roberts couldn't be any less selfish of a guy. He is ready to block. He does not care how many targets he gets. He's hard-nosed, physical, and he's a natural receiver. I, I really liked the signing when it happened. I thought he would honestly be featured a little bit more in this offense than he has been, and I don't think that's by any fault of his own. I think this offense is just so diverse, dynamic. Uh, there's so many weapons that are making plays that, uh, it's number one, it's easy as a player when other guys are making plays. As long as they're doing it, then you're happy. As long as you're winning, you're happy. But you know, if, if you're not getting any targets and the team's losing, you might start asking the question, out loud, why am I not getting the ball? I feel like I can help us win. That's not the case with the Ravens. They're completely unselfish. And I think with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, you have to be an unselfish style of player because he is going to be the playmaker of the offense. The spotlight will always be on Jackson. It will never be on the receiver. It will never be on the running back any more than him. So he is the uh, the one who knocks in this situation. So I was very happy to see Jackson trust Roberts, a guy who I saw make a ton of contested catches at training camp and feels like he's deserving of those opportunities to bring balls down. And uh, he just is like a Chris Moore plus. He runs the same routes Chris Moore runs. He's a good blocker. He's a little bit better than Chris Moore. Chris Moore's just never been able to separate himself and make those tough catches when they're needed. If he's not wide open on a crosser or something, Chris Moore doesn't make the catch. So that role that they, the Ravens wanted Chris Moore to take over, it feels like Seth Roberts has and has been doing a great job. Uh, he had 46 snaps, which was the most of any wide receiver. It was the second most of any non-offensive lineman other than Lamar Jackson. Roberts is doing a great job. I'm happy to see him start to flourish and hopefully more good things to come. Definitely. And another unsung hero that I want to talk about here is Gus Edwards. Mark Ingram had 13 carries for 48 yards. Well, Gus Edwards on five less carries had 112 yards and a touchdown, including that 63-yard touchdown that really capped off that victory. Edwards is a guy who doesn't lose yards on many carries. He's a guy who runs hard, has that north-south running style, but he's actually added in a, a few cuts to his game that I've noticed and enjoyed watching because he'll hit you. He'll outmaneuver you in any way possible, but at the end of the day, he's going to pick up yards regardless of the situation. It's very rare that Gus Edwards is stopped for a no gain or a loss of one yard. What have you seen out of Gus Edwards this season and specifically in this game against Houston? What I've seen out of Gus Edwards is that he is a an offensive coordinator, a running backs coach. Any If you coach football, you want a running back like Gus Edwards. It's the same category with Mark Ingram a little bit, but Edwards sticks to the script. 
where the designed hole is going to be is going to be the first thing that he presses unless there is something blatantly obvious. I feel like his vision is outstanding. He gets north and south, but he varies his speed. He he gets moving straight ahead, north-south, the favorite phrase to quantify that, but he doesn't sprint out of the gate. He waits for it. He has a little bit of patience in still getting north and south, and then once he gets that open field, I mean, I didn't think the touchdown that he scored on that 63-yard run I thought he was getting caught and maybe breaking a tackle, maybe dragging someone into the end zone or getting dragged down at the five-yard line. He started lifting his knees up. I did not know he was capable of moving in the open field like that. And to be honest, I mean, his physique, he looks like a perfectly in-shape pit bull. He is nothing but muscle. That dude is a monster. He runs low. He has good footwork, keeps a wide base. You were mentioning the cuts and what he's been doing so well. The Ravens use some misdirection offense, and they'll do it out of a power run that has kind of a misdirection option to it for a cutback lane, which is a little bit unique. Seeing Edwards kind of run to where the power looks like it's going to go to set up linebackers, and he gets linebackers caught in the wash to then shoot the misdirection and make the cutback, and the linebackers just can't get through the mess. They can't sort through the filing cabinet of that Ravens offensive line, and the offensive line has been doing such a good job as well, of course, but Edwards sets linebackers up. He sets his runs up really well. He runs right to go left. And he has had a nice little jump cut that he definitely worked on in the offseason, has been able to utilize that behind the line of scrimmage to kind of shuffle himself and hit holes and uh, kind of fly out of nowhere. So Edwards, I think, is if let's say Mark Ingram does not sign in Baltimore for whatever reason and the Ravens don't end up bringing anybody else in, I would not have been surprised in an alternate universe if Gus Edwards is the NFL's leading rusher. I think he has all of the tools to be one of the very best running backs in the game. I think that he is right now one of the very best. And uh, the Ravens are able to split carries between Ingram, who is better in pass pro, and of course is a great runner himself and a little bit more of a trustworthy receiver and has a good veteran presence. So as Ingram has that three-year deal, I would love to see the Ravens hold on to Gus Edwards, who has not had the stats to make himself very expensive. And hopefully the Ravens are able to re-sign him this offseason and have him be the successor to Mark Ingram. Then by the time Edwards is, you know, 26, 27, he can take the full load and do what Ingram's doing right now and, and take all the glory and all the touchdowns. He should be ready to roll. By that time, if his trajectory keeps up the same way and him fulfilling his potential and becoming a better player, I could see Gus Edwards being, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro capable running back. Very, very early in his career at the age of 26, 27, especially for a kid coming undrafted out of Rutgers, relatively unknown. I mean, I was kind of surprised last year when the Ravens didn't promote Mark Thompson over Gus Edwards at first. And now I look like a fool for saying that because the dude's a stud. Absolute stud. I mean, I was very surprised that, you know, Delance Turner didn't get a second chance in the Ravens offense after, you know, he looked pretty good, too. I mean, he went on IR, and then it was Gus Edwards' turn, and then he looked great. Who knows, maybe if Gus Edwards was on injured reserve, then Mark Thompson would have come up, and he would have been the guy. I mean, the Ravens, in their running back room, has been very good over the last few years. They turned Alex Collins into a star for a year, and they've been doing some good things. But we are going to go to break, and when we come back for our final segment, we're going to be talking about the defense and how it was able to stifle Deshaun Watson in that Texans offense to just seven points. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of this Taco Tuesday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker still here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. And Spencer, this defensive performance was not something that I foresaw. I don't know if it's something that you foresaw, but seven points 
And the Ravens had one sack for each of those points. They had seven sacks on the Texans' offense, six on Deshaun Watson, and one on backup A.J. McCarron once the game was out of hand. Five of those came in the first half in that outside pressure, which I didn't expect to be too dominant because of Laramie Tunsil, because of Titus Howard. I mean, Matthew Judon put on the show. Jalen Ferguson looked great, notching his first career sack. And Tyus Bowser was all over the field. What did you see out of the pressure that the Ravens were getting that they really didn't have earlier in the season? The Ravens attacked Deshaun Watson aggressively, but with a certain level of patience, knowing that he was going to want to run. And they kind of let him run into some sacks a little bit without over-pursuing, without letting themselves drop too deep and letting Watson step right up. So they had a contained aggressiveness, a controlled chaos to them. A lot of it was on coverage, and that's what's been the the growing factor that you know teams are going to have to hold the ball, and the Ravens pass rushers will get five times the chance to get home if you give them four seconds instead of two and a half. So Judon and Ferguson and Bowser and Owasso had tons of opportunities to get home. Owasso actually only played nine snaps on this game, and it feels like he uh, made a pretty big impact in those nine snaps. But the Ravens seem to really elect to go with uh, more DBs than linebackers. LJ Fort had 29 snaps. Josh Bynes had 24 snaps, as opposed to the DBs of Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, who both had 61. Earl Thomas played 57. Chuck Clark played 61. Brandon Carr with 52. Jimmy Smith playing 41. And at times, you know, you've got three first-round corners out there, and Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Jimmy Smith, as well as Earl Thomas, makes a fourth first-round DB. Then with Chuck Clark being that calming, you know, smart presence in the box, and Brandon Carr bringing that same football IQ and intangible to the back end, they're suffocating. There were no blown assignments, no blown coverages. They were always in position to make a play on the ball, and it felt like the Texans could not get anything going deep. Uh, Hopkins was relatively shut down. Kenny Stills was able to make a couple nice, you know, little plays here and there to move the chains, but nothing deep, no big plays, shut them down. Texans, one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL, one of the most dynamic passing offenses, and the Ravens obliterated them. They made it look like a unfair, you know, fo- high school football game uh, on that side of the football. The physicality, aggressiveness, and speed were evident. Seeing Jihad Ward and Ellis and Pico come in and uh, able to run plays down at their size is fun to watch. It's fun to watch those guys, how mobile they are. And, you know, with Bowser and the great speed he possesses to the edge, as well as Judon. And then Ferguson is 275 pounds and he was moving as well. He has great tackling range. He can go make plays a couple of yards downfield. So it uh, feels like there's a lot of speed up front all of a sudden. And it feels like uh, that's been a big change going into the year with just Michael Pierce, Brandon Williams, and uh, Dalen Mack is the projected inside guys with, of course, Wormley playing the three tech. And all of a sudden, these other guys are bringing a different element of athleticism, and it feels like that's making a huge difference. And that athleticism comes in handy when the Ravens are facing mobile quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson. And it seems like when the Ravens face these guys, you look at teams like the Texans defense and the Seahawks defense and even the Patriots defense. When they went up against Lamar Jackson, they were a little bit startled by the effectiveness that he had as a runner as well as how well they could throw the football. The Ravens, on the other hand, go up against Lamar Jackson in practice. They have Robert Griffin III to be a scout team quarterback. They see it every day. And their defense, it doesn't even look like it phases them when a mobile quarterback such as a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson comes to play them or they go to play them in their home. It's something that the Ravens defense has been so good at this year, being able to stay disciplined when these quarterbacks have that threat to run the football. Do you agree there, Spencer? Yes, I think that, and this is something I may have flipped on a little bit. I thought that 
you know, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, as the two examples you cited, they are incredible athletes. They are not even in the same ballpark right now as Lamar Jackson from an athleticism standpoint. Jackson is maybe the most dynamic runner. I would put him right now alongside Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey with the ball in their hands as guys that have 4-3 speed, 4-4 speed, and the elusiveness, the power, and just the all-around vision, playmaking ability that Jackson possesses. It's different. It is noticeably higher than what Deshaun Watson presents as a runner. And I think that the Ravens' defense absolutely has an advantage of facing the premier athlete at the quarterback position every day in practice all through the offseason. It feels like they're not overwhelmed by Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson from an athleticism standpoint and a pass rush standpoint because of that. And they're not playing scared. I mean, they have to go chase a ghost in practice every day. So when you get a zombie instead of a ghost, it's a little bit easier. 100%. Speaking of the secondary, you mentioned that some of those sacks were covered sacks. In fact, probably most of them were covered sacks. Marcus Peters was dominant, talking trash to DeAndre Hopkins throughout the entire game, showing us that fire that he had shown in Kansas City and in Los Angeles. Jimmy Smith played amazingly. He was picked on a bit by DeAndre Hopkins in the first quarter, but after that, really settled down, had a great play on a ball. Marlon Humphrey was, again, amazing, getting some more time in the slot. Brandon Carr doing all types of things. Earl Thomas, Chuck Clark as the safeties, limiting those big plays. What did you see out of the secondary, Spencer? They were very physical. They were very handsy. They were very grabby. They were annoying. They were pestering. They were glued to the Texans receivers. There was no separation. There were no blown assignments. It was smart, physical football. And the Ravens are willing to get defensive pass interference and holding calls to prevent receivers from getting in rhythm, to prevent those big plays. They do not want you to get any confidence against them. They want to frustrate receivers. They want to hold them down, prevent them from getting any kind of rhythm going, it feels like. And Peters was talking the most smack I think I've ever seen a Baltimore Raven talk on the field. He was clapping in Hopkins' face. He was talking some South Central Los Angeles type of smack in this one. And he backed it up. I mean, he had a great pass deflection and a one-on-one jump ball, swatted the ball right away from DeAndre Hopkins like it was nothing. And Hopkins is obviously maybe the most physical and aggressive receiver in the NFL. So they just don't let you get in a rhythm. They'll do anything to keep receivers down and make them feel like they're struggling and frustrate them. And when you start frustrating receivers, they start forcing plays. They start making more mistakes and they're not just letting the game come to them at that point. So uh, it's going to be very difficult, especially with the games that the Ravens have on the schedule. There's not a lot of top shelf wide receiver units coming down the pipeline as of now. Uh, with, you know, maybe the Browns being the best and they've actually are leading the NFL in drops, the Cleveland Browns. So I think that these DBs are only going to keep looking better and better. Yeah, I agree with you. And the secondary will have a test when they go and face Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams on Monday night. Goff hasn't looked as sharp as he has in years past, but you can never discount the number one overall pick. And Spencer, before you go, I want to talk to you about this game on Monday night. Another primetime game for Lamar Jackson to show his skills for the defense to step up in a big way like they did when they played the New England Patriots. How do you see this game going? The beginning of the year, if you would have told me to Look at the 16-game schedule and circle a loss. I probably would have picked this game. I don't feel that way anymore, as obviously the Rams' offensive line has been terrible. 
But if you watched uh, the Rams in primetime on Sunday night, you'll see that they put two rookies in, Bobby Evans and David Edwards, on the right side of their offensive line. Those are two massive human beings, uh, one coming from Oklahoma, one coming from Wisconsin, two of the preeminent uh, offensive lineman programs in the country. And they were running some power football, so they might have a little something going. I don't think the Rams' offense presents much of a threat, especially considering the offenses that the Ravens have held in check over the last month or so. But defensively, the Rams can make plays. They're very stout. If I had to pick someone to go up against Lamar Jackson, I said the same kind of thing about Clowney and Bobby Wagner, and uh, they kind of proved me wrong. But Aaron Donald is a, a game wrecker. He is certainly going to play with that aggressiveness that we've talked about so much in this episode. He is going to be the one who knocks. He will be coming downhill. He will not be flat-footed in the backfield on a read option if he is unblocked. He will be hitting Lamar Jackson. I can assure you of that. Uh, with that being said, I think that the Ravens are the better team. But traveling to the West Coast is difficult, although the Ravens play very well in prime time. So I like the Ravens in this one. I don't like them traveling to the West Coast. And I think traveling to L.A. and having a lot of time to, you know, go out and, and mess around, as we saw Aaron Rodgers call teammates out about that, uh, can certainly play a factor. But the Rams are not looking like a high-powered unit that can hang with the number one scoring offense and the highest DVOA defense. Plus, this is the, the Marcus Peters revenge game. They wanted Jalen Ramsey. They got him. And now PFF has Marcus Peters as the number one corner in football since the trade. So I would love to see Marcus Peters go get that revenge interception on his former team. And I think I'm going to take the Ravens to win this one. Although I don't feel as strong about it as I have about the last couple of games, a loss would not surprise me. But I think that the Ravens can outclass the Rams who have seemed to struggle. Yeah, you mentioned Aaron Donald. He's a guy who does scare me a bit, especially, you know, with Bradley Bozen and Matt Square playing the way they have. They've played great considering what the circumstances were at the beginning of the season. But Aaron Donald is a different animal, one that relates to no one in the NFL. He just has a skill set that no one else has. One of the best, if not the best, defensive player in the entire league. But I also like the Ravens in this game. I think the defense will shut down that Rams offense. The Ravens defense with Brandon Williams in there, you mentioned, is very stout. And even though the Rams run some power football, they did it against Chicago on Sunday night. I think the Ravens defense will step up. Marcus Peters, like you just said, I hope he'll get that revenge interception. But Lamar Jackson, with that Rams defense, might present a bit of a challenge in traveling to the West Coast as well. All great points, Spencer. But I am, too, going to pick the Ravens here in a game where I think they move to 9-2 and and extend that winning streak. But... That is all that I have for you today, Spencer. Thank you once again for coming on the show. And hopefully next week, I've been saying every week, you come back and that winning streak has extended. Yes, sir. And hopefully we're talking seven straight with the 49ers coming to town in two weeks. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Kevin. Of course, tomorrow we are going to be doing Crossover Wednesday with Locked on Rams. So stay tuned for that and I will see you tomorrow.